Um, last week I was on the video screen. Um, I did not have COVID. I had been exposed to somebody you had, and so I was in a quarantine that a couple days later, the CDC changed the guidelines, and I would have been able to be, be here under those old guidelines, but whatever. We, we did what was safest, and I'm glad to be able to be here in person today. Um, we're going to be in three different places in Scripture, starting in Isaiah chapter 40, um, and then we'll go to Second Peter, and then we'll flip back to the Gospel of Mark. The Shirey's already read that passage, but it's okay. We're not going to read too much Gospel. It's, it'll be all right. This is Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, and the mouth, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Now we'll turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Starting at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the star, the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now we'll read that passage again from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. 
the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us one more time. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is enduring um, in a way that we are not. We thank you that it still speaks with eternal vitality. God, I pray that our hearts would be soft and receptive and open to your word. Bless us, Lord, with hearing of it. Help us to respond with love as you loved us first. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Waiting is hard. It's very hard. It's hard for all of us. Uh, and in this season, if you are with children, if you're around children, you know that the month of December just illustrates for you how difficult waiting can be. I know questions have already begun in my household. When is Christmas going to be here? Now, with my older two children, I can tell them today's date, and I can tell them the day that Christmas is, December 25th, and they can do the math, and they can figure out how far away Christmas is. But for my younger two children, time has no meaning, and the numbering of it is just confounding to them. So even when we make the little Advent chain, paper chain thing, where you rip off one every day, uh, that ceases to, to carry the effectiveness that is so desired. Hope has no understanding of how far 19 days is from now. Right, Hope? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, Valor asks all the time about how long things are, how long time is. He's trying to understand hours and days. Just last night, we were talking about how many hours are in a day, 24 hours, he said, and he said, so how long am I asleep? Am I asleep for 20 hours? And I was like, no, you are not. Um, I wish it were so many times, but no. He doesn't understand the length of time, and he's saying that it feels like 20 hours because he feels like it's forever until it's tomorrow and he can get out of bed again. Waiting is hard. And when you are around children at this time, they're merely teaching you what all of us feel. We live in a society that makes waiting even more difficult. We are less equipped for waiting than many, maybe any people in any time ever. We live in a society where everything is instantly present. If you want to know anything, in the history of knowing things, you can pull a cube out of your pocket and it will tell you whatever it is that you want to know immediately. 
Or you can look at pictures of cats. Whatever you want, you can immediately do that thing. We expect our food to be delivered to us instantaneously when you have too much food and pull it out of your miraculous box that keeps things cold and you suddenly want it hot again. You don't have to build a fire. You don't have to wait for the oven to get warm. You put it in another box and you press more buttons and within seconds, it's not just warm, it's too hot and will burn your mouth. And that happens so fast. We are discipled into being a people who are profoundly impatient. And the scriptures that we're reading today are speaking to this sense of anticipation and longing. Because the people who are reading them and receiving them are also impatient. In Isaiah chapter 40, the book turns. For chapters 1 through 39, Isaiah is telling Israel, hey, the bad guys from Assyria are going to come in and they're going to conquer. There's going to be all these terrible things that happen. And starting from chapter 40 to the end of the book, he's looking to the future. He's not just looking past what Assyria does. He's looking to when Babylon comes and even beyond when Babylon comes. He talks about things that are hundreds of years in the future. And so in chapter 40, he starts telling these people who are going to be basically in jail, in exile, that God is going to do something. He's going to address their waiting. And so the word that he gives them in Isaiah chapter 40 is take comfort. God is going to comfort his people and God is going to approach. He's going to come close. He's going to do something so that they might be liberated. Take comfort. He has seen you. He has not forgotten you. They are living under the tyranny of the Babylonian Empire when that message is being really heard and understood for the first time. And it is under that same kind of tyranny and the domination of an empire that John is preaching under, that Peter is writing towards. All of these people and all of the passages that are hearing the word are saying the same sort of thing. Where is God? Where is he? People of Israel, when John the Baptist starts to preach, have Romans living in their neighborhood. And they're saying, at that point, 500, 600 years ago, Isaiah was telling us there'd be comfort. Where is God? Where is he? And Peter is on the other side of the first advent of Jesus. And the people in the early church who are suffering under Roman persecution at the end of the first century, they are asking the same question. Look, we, Jesus said when he left that he would come back. And it's been like a hundred years or so. When's he going to be here? And we are reading these scriptures and we're saying a hundred years, bro, it's 2020 it's been 2,020 years. Where is God? If you're asking it at the end of the first century, in the 21st century, we definitely want to know where is Jesus? Where is God? Where can he possibly be? What is delaying him? What has slowed him down in his coming? Now, because of the world that we live in, we can be perpetually distracted. We can, if we want, we can just live a life 
of constant distraction where we never have to think about that. We can, we can just spend our time thinking about the next instantaneous wish fulfillment, desire, thing that we want and never, ever, ever think about this sense of anticipation that is supposed to be building up in us. This is why we set aside a whole month for Advent. This is why we're not saying it is Christmas. We are saying it is Advent because we are confessing together as a people. We are prone to distraction and we fail to long for the things that we should long for. Because both John and Peter are going to tell us something. That in our waiting for God to come, something is required of us. If he is going to come close, something is required of us. What Isaiah says in chapter 40 is that the glory of God is going to come to Israel. The glory of God is going to come with his people. Now, we are churchy people. Christians sing churchy language all the time, talk churchy language, and we talk about the glory of God and have no idea what we are saying. We have some vague sense the glory of God is like this feeling I get in my belly sometimes, or maybe it's sort of shiny out there. But the glory of God is not that. Israel's whole society in the, in the Old Testament is organized around dealing with and managing the glory of God. And what their whole sacrificial and ritual system is telling them all the time is that if God was truly present and in their midst and unveiled before them, they would die. They could not handle it. Because God is so spectacular in his majesty, you would just erode out of existence. God's glory is weighty and it is massive and it is impressive and it is in some sense destructive. So the prophets will say things like, hey, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is the glory of God is coming. The bad news is the glory of God is coming. You're not ready. You are not ready for what is about to happen. What they're in essence saying is what God is doing is like as if we lassoed the sun in the middle of our solar system and inch by inch we're pulling it closer to us. It is brilliant and beautiful in the swirling, fiery, majestic nature of the burning gases, but also the sun is getting closer and it is brighter and brighter and it is hot and it is overwhelming and we might get burned up in its nearness. That is the glory of God. And both John and Peter are confessing that nature. Peter will actually say, when God comes, it will dissolve everything. The heavens, the earth, they sort of melt away at the approaching nearness of his majestic splendor. What's happening is that God and his glory will be revealed. So something is required of you if you actually want to see the glory of God. And John's message is very simple. Repent. 
You must repent because the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. The glory of God is approaching. And this is what Peter is picking up on in in 2 Peter. He's saying, "You're, you're seeing this delay and you're seeing, man, God is, where is he? He's, he seems to be sort of like caught up in traffic somewhere. He seems, is he going to fulfill his promise? And Peter is saying, no, no, no. God is delaying because he is kind. Because he loves people and he wants people, all people, to respond to his love and that they would repent like John told them to repent. So that when he comes, they're ready. So you see God's delay, and you are in agony, and you are in waiting. You are on pins and needles. And what you need to see is that God, in his timing, is giving people patience and kindness and mercy from him. He wants them to be ready when the glory of God is unveiled. Because what God wants, and this has been true all the way through the whole scope of Scripture, is that he wants people to live with him. He wants people to live side by side, face to face in the garden. They went on walks together. God wants people who are habituated to glory, who can handle glory, who can live in the shelter of his glory, who can see him with unveiled faces and who can live face to face with the great glorious God of the universe. Because of that, he waits And he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And he says, it may seem like a thousand years to you, but it is a day to him. Your your reckoning of time is not his reckoning of time. He is measuring out this time in kindness. John's message, Peter's message, repent, repent, repent. Now, it is important to hear this invitation of glory behind those words because we have been taught in many ways through sin and through culture to hear the command to repent and to imagine that God is screaming it at you in anger and waving his finger at you to shame you. That is not at all what is happening in the command to repent. It is an invitation to come home and to live in glory. God is telling you, he is affirming to you what he told the prophet Isaiah, you are investing your whole life in grass that will burn up and go away. You, your beauty that you are obsessed with, it'll fade like those flowers that you bought for a loved one who within days they are dead and rotting and swarming with flies. That's the beauty that you are distracted by. Leave that thing aside and come cling to glory because that, the word of God, the nature of God, his character, it's enduring, it never fails, and it will prepare you for a life in the shelter of his eternal glory. So when God is telling you to repent, he is not doing it because he is angry at you or he's coming to shame you or to condemn you. He's saying, I want you to come home. I want you to be with me. I want you to live with me. I want you to be under the shelter of my wings and to find your rest in my glory forever and ever and ever. Repent. Leave aside that thing that you are doing. 
The thing that you are so invested in, the immediacy of your desires, the immediacy of your wants, leave them aside. Peter describes us as a people who are waiting and hastening the day of the Lord. That's how he describes it. Wait and hasten. How do you do both? How can you wait sitting on pins and needles and hasten at the same time? And Peter's answer is that you are being shaped into a life of godliness and holiness so that when the breathtaking glory of God comes fully into view and all the things of this world pass away, they, as the old songs say, grow strangely dim. What will be revealed in you is a life that is meant and forged for glory that you have been pouring into for the entirety of your life. The way that we hasten the kingdom, we hasten the coming of Jesus, is we give ourselves fully to this life of repentance and a life of lighting lamps in the darkness, candles in the darkness, as a little sign of what it will be like when the majestic, blazing glory of God comes fully into view. We know that when he comes, we will live in the light of his face and there will be no more need for night. So in the midst of the night that we live in, in our own soul and in the world that we reside in, we light candles of his glory as a promise and a sign that he will not fail nor fade. If you are here today and you know that you have invested your life in the pursuit of momentary pleasures, if you have been distracted by the grass and the flowers, which are beautiful, I say it doesn't say that stuff is no good, that is rubbish. What he says is it is passing, it is vaporous, it is going away. And if your whole life has been invested in things that will disappear in moments, today the command of John the Baptist, of Peter, is the same to you. Repent. And he's speaking it in love to you because he desires you deeply. Leave that way aside and give your life over to glory. And if you, if you have done that before, you, you say, well, I've kind of heard this spiel before. I have done this thing before. I, I, I've prayed this prayer. I've, I've confessed this sin so many times. I'm tired of doing it. There is good news for you. You may be tired of straining against this sin. You may be tired of failing at that sin. But the weight of God's glory never hinged on your own goodness, but on his. And repentance looks like giving it back to Jesus one more time. I have played in that mud one more time. And for Jesus to confront you and to say, I know, I know who you are. I've always known who you are. And this is how I see you. Do you hear in Isaiah 40 how he saw you? He saw you as the lamb, the incapable one, the incompetent one, the weak one that he picks up and he clings to his bosom and he carries further because he is your shepherd. If you are exhausted at your own failure, Jesus came 
for you. He came for you and he will carry you home. He is the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He is the one who will bring you to a life of glory because he has secured it for you with his own life, death, and resurrection. If you are exhausted at the waiting and the failing and the straining, he will carry you. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent. And come home because he loves you and has made you for glory and will surely deliver you to the life that he has prepared for you when all of the passing away will be done, night will be over, and dying will be dead, and you and I will live in the light of his face in glory forever. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word that speaks to us. We thank you, God, that you have secured it for us, that it is good and valid and applicable to us. <coughs> God, we pray that we would hear your invitation and we would respond. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, we will be drawn in. And God, I pray for those who are laboring under the weight of shame and failure, whether they have uh, confessed their sin to you one time or 1,000, God, I pray that you would help them to know that your call to repent is carried by your love for them. It is not uh, of disgust or of exhaustion with them. It is that of the love of a shepherd father who wants to carry them in. God, I pray that we would be a repentant people for our whole life, that we would delight freely in confessing our sin and repenting, and not under the burdens of shame or condemnation, but as an act of love, as a response to your love, your glory revealed. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people who wait and who hasten, who are not distracted by the things of this world that are so temporary and passing, but we would instead make our whole life a life of waiting expectantly, a life being formed in godliness and holiness, not that we try to earn our way into the kingdom, but that we are being prepared for life fully in the kingdom. Jesus, I thank you for your faithfulness and that we never have to wonder truly where is God. We have seen you revealed in your closeness. You are God with us. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. If you would go ahead and stand up if you are able to continue to worship in song.